can we just read Mark chapter 1 verse 16 to verse 20? For those of you that are visiting, I'm doing a series called Getting to Know God. It's um, out of the Gospel of Mark. And really the, the motivation for this is because we want to be a church that is outward focused, that is focused on not just ourselves, but the lost and the broken. And uh, as we get to know Jesus, he more, as we get to know more and more of who he is and what he's like, there's a, automatically a transformation that happens on the inside of us and we start to live differently. And uh, it's an it's a inside-out thing. And I, I've said for many years now that our faith is an inside-out thing. What God does on the inside automatically affects the outside. And so we just want to explore that over the months ahead as we look at the Gospel of Mark. And um, this is where we've got up to. We've looked at the calling of Jesus. We've looked at the the baptism of Jesus. We've looked at uh, the beginning of the gospel. We've looked at a number of things. And here this morning, we're going to look at this particular well-known passage, which simply says in verse 16, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brothers of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were mending their boat, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So, Father, I want to thank you for your word, and I just ask that you would bring. A fruit into our lives out of your word. I think your word is always transformational. It's always motivational. It always is encouraging and it refreshes us, it washes us, and it makes us more like Jesus. And so simply, Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd come and that you would do, the, do all of those things through the preaching of your word this morning. And I trust you for that in Jesus' name. So actually, um, I listened to Talks' message this week on be, being a, a hidden soldier. And I thought it was a wonderful encouragement, so thank you for that, mate. And uh, if, you didn't, if, you didn't, uh, if you didn't hear Talks' message, please get onto the podcast and um, listen, because it will be a blessing in your life. And what he basically spoke about was that we are called to be uh, salt and light in the world, and sometimes the circumstances in our lives push in on us, and what should be showing becomes hidden. Yeah, and uh, so it follows on really well. I didn't know what he was going to preach, but it follows on well for me this morning to preach to you about being a fisher of men. Uh, It's part of not hiding your light. It's part of not being a hidden soldier is to be a fisher of men. And um, just to refresh your memory, last time I preached, I talked about the message of the gospel. When we say the gospel, what do we mean? And I said it's the word that Jesus uses when he starts to preach. He says it's good news. And so I try to tell you, uh, unpack what that means. And, and Jesus, if you look at the other, other portions of Scripture, you see the Scripture talks about the good news and says it's good news of truth, it's good news of hope, it's good news of peace, it's good news of immortality, that we, we don't die, it's good news of God's good promises towards us, and it's good news of salvation. And I try to look at those things with you. And then what Jesus says is, you to repent and believe the good news. And we had a look at what repentance means and what believing means. And uh, so I want to follow on from that this morning with this portion. And here, notice right at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus starts to gather some friends to be co-laborers with him. He starts to gather some people around him to, to invite, invites them into his mission. 
And anyone who leads anything has to begin somewhere. And so Jesus, great, great leader, he begins in this place. He gathers a couple of men around him, and he starts to speak a message into their hearts, and they become kindred spirits. And that's what he does. That's how he gathers this group of, of, of disciples around him. And it's literally Jesus laying the foundation for his kingdom and how he's going to minister and how he's going to work with people. And so we have, uh, I just want to give you some background, because um, these men were fishermen, all right? Simple guys, fishermen. And uh, if you read some of the other Gospels, you'll see that Galilee is also called the Lake of Gennesaret. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias. When you read that, don't get confused. It's the same place. It's the Lake of Galilee, all right? It's just called different things, but it's the same place. And um, there's a guy that I've mentioned before called Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian, and he documented much of Jewish history. And so if you read any books about Jewish history or uh, commentaries on the Bible, you're going to come across a guy called Josephus. And interestingly enough, he was also, for a period of his life, he was ordiner of Galilee. He's one of the, the governors of Galilee. And um, I read this week that in his time, he said there were 330 fishing boats fishing the Sea of Galilee. And uh, I read another commentary in which the guy spent a whole lot of time saying what species of fish were found in the, in the Sea of Galilee. I don't know why people would find that fascinating, but he did. He spent much of his life researching what kind of fish were in the Sea of Galilee when Jesus was around. But anyway, the point is that... The Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee was teeming with life. I've said to you before that Galilee was not just like a, a quiet, backward place. It was, a, it was a crossroads of the ancient world where lots of cultures came together. It was a multicultural, multi-generational place, and that's where, where Jesus launches his ministry. And so here are these fishermen, and fish was the staple diet of, of, of ordinary people. They, didn't, they couldn't afford meat. And they, they ate meat very seldom, and so fish was the staple diet of the common people. And if you read the Gospels, there are many, many references to that. Luke 11, Matthew 7, Mark 6. And so the fish was also usually salted because they didn't have refrigeration. It was very hard to transport fish, and so they would salt it, catch the fish. And so salt was incredibly valuable at that time. And the, one of the greatest luxuries in the ancient world was seafood. And so if you were incredibly wealthy and you lived in a big city like Rome, one of the ways you would show off your wealth was to have fresh fish or fresh scallops or fresh whatever. It was a great delicacy because only the very, very wealthy could afford to have it transported and that it wouldn't go off. And so even in the names, if you look at the Gospels, even the names of some of the towns in Galilee refer to fish. <laughs> Bethsaida means house of fish. Or Tarakia was another town. It means the place of salt fish. And that's where these guys would bring the fish. They would be salted. They would be prepared and exported to places like Jerusalem and Rome. And so what I'm trying to say to you is that in Galilee, fishing was big business. It was like um, the middle classes were fishermen. They, they, they might have been poor in some ways, but it was a good job to have a fisherman, to be part of that, that industry. And so... In the Gospels, you can read um, the five different kinds of nets that are used to catch fish. And we, in this little portion, mentions two different kinds of nets that uh, they were using. The first was a sanin net, which we get the word sane net from, which was basically just like a big bag with, with um, weights on the bottom. It was like trawled behind the fishing boats, and it would, a big bag would catch the fish. 
And then here we read of these guys mending their nets, but there, these are not these big trawler kind of nets. The, the, the word that is used is amphilistron, which simply means it's a small cast net. You know, a cast net has also weights. It's a bit like a massive umbrella, and you throw it by hand, it forms a circle, and you catch a couple of fish at a time. That's the kind of nets that they were mending in this portion. And so there are all these different ways of fishing, and I am going somewhere with the fishing analogy, all right? So just bear with me. But what I want to start with, what I think is most interesting about this portion, is the kind of men that Jesus chose to become his first friends, his, his first disciples. So the first thing I want to ask you to notice is the kind of men they were. And quite simply, it says they were simple men. They were ordinary men. They were not college graduates. They were not uh, people that were from universities or colleges. They weren't from the religious elite. They weren't from the synagogues. They weren't from the philosophers of, of, of the day. They were simply fishermen. And right from the, the beginning, I want to point you to the fact that Jesus believed in ordinary men and ordinary women to do extraordinary things. Ordinary men and ordinary women. And, uh, you know, sometimes our, our, our society doesn't like ordinary men and women. <laughs> and we like celebrity, don't we? we? We're all trying to be famous in some way. Don't something, our, our culture says something about being ordinary is just kind of not cool. You need to be extraordinary. Now, well, it goes back quite a long way. I was reading this week, George, how many of you remember George Bernard Shaw? Yeah, a famous playwright. I didn't realize this, but he was also the co-founder of the London School of Economics. He said this, I've never had any feeling for the ordinary working classes except a desire to abolish them and replace them with sensible people. <laughs> Thomas Carlyle, he was a, a Victorian philosopher and writer. He said this, there are 27 million people in England, mostly fools. There's now probably 60 million. That was in the Victorian time. What about Abraham Lincoln? Uh, he had a different view, Abraham Lincoln. He said this, God must love the common people. He made so many of them. <laughs> Almost like Jesus is saying right at the beginning here, if, if, if ordinary common people, it's just ordinary guys like you and me, if they will listen to me, if they will hear my call, I will use them to radically transform the world. And so I want to start by saying that the kingdom doesn't depend on advancing by just using clever people. What does Zechariah say, chapter 4, verse 6? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so I want to encourage you, whatever your background, whatever you feel, uh, whether you feel like you are clever or not, or educated or not, or you come from uh, a broken background, or you come from whatever background you come from, God can use you. And God uses ordinary men and women to do extraordinary things. And that's the joy of what we believe as Christians. And so Paul's words, I want to remind you of Paul's words. He says this, Consider your calling, my brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to the world. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being would boast in the presence of God. And isn't that what it's about? That's uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty-six, That no human being would be able to boast in who they are, only in what God has done in them. That's the message of the gospel. So I want to encourage you as we start this morning, don't feel disqualified. 
whatever your background, because God uses all of us in the kingdom. All right? And so Jesus started in his day with simple men. He started with fishermen. The equivalent would probably be uh, mechanics or, or laborers today. And he begins to train these people and renew them by the power of his spirit. And why did he do that? Well, simply because he wanted to show us that um, our flesh needs to be humbled. And he wanted to teach us that through grace, as we believe by faith, we can do extraordinary things for him in the kingdom. It's got nothing to do with our cleverness, our education, our background, our privilege. Right from the beginning, Jesus chooses men and women like that. It also fascinates me, though, as, as the disciples are added to, Jesus didn't just leave it there, right? Because I've heard this, that uh, all we need, to, I've heard people say to me, we, we, we don't need to, to read and study and, and worry about that stuff because God just wants faith. You know, we just have to be like the fishermen, and God just wants faith. Well, actually, no. Actually, no. It's both. Because God adds to his group of disciples, and he adds people like Luke, who was a doctor. And he adds Matthew, who was a tax collector and was an educated man. And so he starts with a group of people, but the kingdom always enlarges, and it includes others. And later, Jesus added as an apostle, Paul, one of the most brilliant, educated men of his day, who wrote down much of what we have today. So... It includes the kingdom, includes the simple, uh, backgrounded people. It includes the Cambridge graduates. God uses every single person who will humble himself and say, Jesus, use me. So I want to encourage you all this morning, go for it. (laughs) Whoever you are and whatever you have had in your history. So I want to say, when when he chooses these men, it's not that he preferred... Uh, ignorance to education. It's simply that he chose uneducated, simple people to humble the pride of those that think that God only uses gifted, privileged, and educated people. That's why he did it. And so these fishers of men are the first ones that he calls. So that's the first thing I want you to notice, what kind of people they were, right? And to say that none of us are disqualified in terms of the kingdom. Secondly, notice what they were doing. What were they doing when, they called, when Jesus called them? They were just doing their day's work. They were doing what they normally do. They were catching fish. They were mending nets. And that's not an unusual thing. In the Scripture, God calls all sorts of people that are just doing their normal thing. So if you look, for example, Amos, Amos the prophet, Amos 7, he said this, I was not a prophet, nor a prophet's son. I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees, but the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, go and prophesy to my people Israel. Amos was an ordinary guy. He was, a, he was, he was tending the flock. He was a shepherd. What about Mo- Moses when he gets called at the burning bush? What is Moses doing? He's also looking after sheep. This is not like, this is not, uh, you know, kind of middle class, upper class kind of, Pursuits. He was. He was. He was. A, he was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd when he got called. Uh, Gideon. What about Gideon? He was threshing wheat, just doing his normal day job. Elisha. When Elijah called him to replace him, he was plowing. He was a farmer. He was just doing his day's day's job. And here we see the first apostles, the first ones that were called, were doing their day job. They were just fishing, fishing, doing what they normally do. And the point is that I want to say to you this morning that sometimes we feel like the calling of God must come to us in a meeting like, which is a spiritual meeting. 
when the mood music is right and when there's a sense of worship and the presence of God, then God's going to call me. No, I want to say to you, the scripture has a pattern of God calling ordinary men and women doing their day job. You with me? God can call you any time when you are serving in the cafe. Uh, cafe Ness, Mario. God can speak to you as you are putting that cup of coffee down. As you are doing someone's books and accounting, God can speak to you about what He wants you to do. Does, he will speak to you anywhere. He's always speaking. The point is, our ears open to hear what He is saying. And uh, so God calls these men in the middle of their ordinary, ordinary day's work. Thirdly, notice how he calls them. Have you ever noticed Jesus didn't debate? He didn't say, like, guys, I just want to think, get you to think about this and consider it. You know, it would be good for you to follow me. And I think, I think actually, I've got some things that, that uh, are worthwhile that you, you, you could benefit from. So please, why don't you go away and kind of just think about it and consider. And uh, when, you, when you feel cool about it, come back and we can talk some more and then we'll see if this thing can go forward. <laughs> Jesus was incredibly direct. He just said, leave all you're doing and follow me. Yeah? <laughs> and so I believe that he, it wasn't the first time that he met those guys. I, I believe they had seen him minister. I believe that they had uh, seen him preach. They would seen the effect of his preaching. And so when he invites them, he doesn't invite them to a theological system. He doesn't say, come and think about God with me. He doesn't invite them to an ethical way of living and say, like the philosophers did in terms of the ancient world, this is the best way to live and would you think about this? No, no, no. With Jesus, it starts with a personal invitation to know him. That's what it starts with. He just says, come and be with me and know me and follow me. It starts with the disciples. It starts with a tug in their hearts. Tug in their hearts. And once their hearts are open, they respond to Jesus. And how much isn't it like that for all of us, really? I can think of a couple people that have thought their way into the kingdom. Perhaps C.S. Lewis is one of the great thinkers that thought his way into the kingdom. Very few of those. For most of us, we are arrested in our hearts, and we see Jesus, and he brings revelation. And because we've seen him, seen something of him, we want to follow him. It's like falling in love a bit, isn't it? It starts with an invitation from Jesus and it starts in our hearts. And so it's the same for us. If we're going to be those that are fishers of men, we have to fall in love with Jesus. It's inside-out stuff, isn't it? We can't think our way into being a fisher of men. <laughs> it, it starts in our hearts. It starts with worship. It starts with love. It starts, that's the motivation. It starts with a love for the world. It starts with a love for God and a love for the world. Amen? And so, fourthly, notice what Jesus offered them. He offered them a task. He didn't call them to ease. He called them to service. He called them to something that they could invest their lives in. He called them to something that would cost them their lives, but was the life that they could live for other people, not for themselves. That's what Jesus calls them to. He didn't call them to inactivity. He didn't say, now that you know me, just clutch back, just relax. Just hang out with the believers and have a good time. He said, no, I've called you. And if you're going to follow me, this is the corollary. This is the thing that follows from following me. Become a fisher of men. It's, it's an automatic thing. If we know Jesus, we must have a desire to see the kingdom come and to share our lives and just be salt and light. That's what is authentic Christianity. And so we, effectively, Jesus is calling us to be co-laborers, isn't he? 
He's calling us to co-labor with him. He came to set the captives free. He came to, to take people out of darkness into light. And he's saying, when you follow me and you become a fish of man, you start to co-labor with me, and you too start to rescue people out of darkness into light. And you, you too start to see people saved out of one kingdom into another. And so I just want to look at this phrase, fishes of men. I think, you know, Jesus wasn't just trying to be clever. It wasn't just because they were fishermen that he used that phrase. That phrase, fishes of men, is used in the Bible in the Old Testament quite a lot. It's used prophetically by, in, in Jeremiah, for example. Jeremiah 16, 16. Behold, I am sending for many fishes of men declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. What about Ezekiel 29.4 or Habakkuk 1.14? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook, and he drags them out with his nets. He gathers them in his dragnet, and he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to the dragnet, etc., etc., etc. These passages that are used prophetically in the Old Testament... God is the fisher of men. Yes? God is the fisher of men, and they quite, the tone of these passages is quite uh, serious because they point to this thing, that there's a God who is bringing judgment, and he wants to rescue people from his judgment, and as he does that, he's like a fisherman that rescues them out of, uh, out of trouble. Are you with me? And so what Jesus is saying that's what he's calling these guys to with him. He's saying, come and be a person that helps to rescue people from God's judgment that is coming. And so it's not just that he's trying to be clever and he's kind of thought that would be a nice wordplay. These are fishers of men, let me make you, these are fishermen, let me use that as a, a, a kind of analogy. It's much, much more than that. Um, he's kind of saying, because the kingdom has come, because I've come to announce a new kingdom, it's necessary that you guys start to co-labor with me <laughs> and to help rescue these people, because the kingdom is at hand. Remember, that's what he started saying. He says the same to all of us today. Follow me and become a fisher of men. And then I just want to comment on verse 19, uh, when it says James and John were mending their nets. And what, what I find incredible about those couple of verses, it's just the radical obedience of those guys. Yeah? Radical obedience. The call of Jesus comes to them, and it's so compelling that they leave their father, their servants, their boats, and they exclusively follow him. They just lay it all down, say, Jesus, I'm following after you. And the point is this. I believe they did that simply because they recognized who was calling them. They recognized the king was calling them. They recognized the Son of God was calling them. God is calling to all of us. I want to ask you this morning, do you recognize who is calling you? Because that's what it comes down to. If we just see Jesus as another option for our lives, well, then he's just another option. If we know that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's the ruler of all, and he is calling us as co-laborers to him, with him, that's a completely different thing. See, they, they saw that. They recognized who Jesus was, and that's why their trans lives were transformed. So, will you hear God's voice today? <laughs> Whatever God is calling you to, will, will you um, radically obey him? Will, will you become a fisher of men, a co-laborer with him? And I, I, I'm convinced that the future that we have depends on us being those that do respond to the call of God. So I want to say this, that this phrase, fisher of men, I think it's a, a most wonderful phrase. I think it's, it's, it's a, a compelling 
thing to, for us to embrace in our lives. It it's really is the oldest name given to someone who preaches the gospel, isn't it? A fisher of men, someone who preaches the gospel. It's the best name that I can think of in the New Testament given to someone who's a preacher of the good news. What is a preacher of the good news? He's a fisher of men. He or she is a fisher of men, rescuing people out of darkness into light. You know, the Bible speaks about our identity, and, and um, Becky prayed about our identity. What is our identity? Our identity is that we are in Christ. Our identity is that we are first friends of God. Our identity is that we are His, His sons. That's our identity. This is the most brilliant um, phrase, though, which speaks about what happens because we are sons of God. Out of our identity, something flows. What flows out, out of the fact that we know Jesus is that we love people. And because we know Jesus, because we are his friends, because we, we have his heart, we want to see many rescued out of darkness into light. And so we become fishers of men. It's automatic. Yes, it's an overflow, and this is what motivates us deep in our hearts. So I want to say to you, this comes before other titles that the Bible does use to describe our function, such as shepherd, such as elder, such as deacon, such as whatever. The first thing that underpins all of those, that is the deepest level of basic identity of what we do, is that you and I are called to be fishers of men. First, fishers of men. That's what we do. And everything else, second. Because we are sons. So you're getting what I'm saying? Okay, And so I want to say that all of us are fishers of men. You and I are all fishers of men. And I want to finish with this little comment. How then should we fish? <laughs> it's good then if we say, yeah, we agree, we're fishers of men. How should we fish? Well, I've got some good mates that are fishermen. And every now and then, um, on Facebook, I'll see a picture of one of my mates who's fishing. And what I've found most extraordinary is that Fishermen are kind of, in a way, that they're quite fanatical. I mean, when they want to fish, they want to fish, and they'll go out on a paddle ski into the middle of the ocean with a rod. They'll fish from the shore. They'll go on a boat. They'll, they'll, uh, they'll do anything to catch fish. They'll go at night. They'll fish during the day. They'll, they'll fish in a river. There's something about fishermen that is quite like... I don't know, it's strange, isn't it, really, fishermen? They, they're quite strange. They just fish. They'll fish under the water with a spear. They'll fish on top of the water. They'll just try anything to catch a fish. Have you noticed that about fishermen? And I think we can learn from that. Fishermen are extraordinary patient people, aren't they? They can stand for hours at a river with a rod, just casting a fly in the hope that they're going to catch a fish. And sometimes they do. And when they do, there's great rejoicing. Uh, but uh, whole days can go by and you don't catch anything. There's an extraordinary patience with fishermen. And uh, they work day after day in all kinds of weather. And they, their hope is that they're going to catch a fish. And God spoke to me out of that this week, uh, just in this very simple way. If we are called to be preachers of the gospel, if we are called to ha- be ministers of the good news and, and to rescue people out of darkness into light, surely that should be our attitude as well extraordinarily patient, trying everything that we can, on top of the water, under the water, with a rod and reel, with a net, on a paddle ski, we, we just try whatever we can, and faithfully over a period of time, with great patience, and with always with hope in our hearts, we trust that there's going to be a fish caught, and when there is a fish caught, we rejoice, and we celebrate, we say, yes, someone's caught a fish, yes, 
That's how it should be with us too, as we fish for people. As we rescue. What is so much dangerous and ugly, really, is, oh, you're not fishing in the right way. You really should be going after that kind of people. What's wrong with you? You're not doing it right. Do it my way. This is, this is, this is poison in the church. We celebrate. We fish. We go and fish with all of our might. We, we do what we can. If you're called to fish with a net, I bless your net. If I'm called to fish with a rod, I will throw my rod. You bless my rod. Amen? We bless each other. We encourage each other. We say, yes, you go and fish. However you're going to fish. If you're a sportsman and you're fishing for sportsmen, fish with all your might. If you are an economist and you're fishing for people in the business world, do it with all your might. If you're an IT guy, do it with all your might, with your IT friends. I don't, wherever you are, if you're a teacher, fish for your, your students. We celebrate every time one fish is caught and let us never, ever say people are not fishing in the right way and look down on anyone when they don't do it the way we want to do it. Yes? Amen. We are called to be ministers of the good news of the gospel. And surely the good news of the gospel is encouraging and lifts people's hands up and says, you go for it, you do it, I'm with you. Thank you. It was a small amen, but it's a good amen. And let's be diligent, let's be patient, let's be faithful, and we will see fish come. (laughs) We will see fish come. And we have seen many fish saved into this church, and we will see many saved. And I I want to just conclude with this. I was just thinking of this. You know, Paul was a great preacher. Paul was a great fisher of men. But there's a humility in Paul that I find extraordinary because he says in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 16, he says, who is sufficient for these things? Paul knew. He knew there was nothing about him. This great, great thinker that God had called and he was doing extraordinary things. He, in his heart, he said, who is sufficient for these things? I know I'm not sufficient for these things. And so my prayer is that you would start to pray, if you're not already, that you would pray for yourself as a preacher of the gospel and you would preach for every other person that you can think of that is a preacher of the gospel. Because at the end of the day, who is sufficient for these things? None of us. We are all just fishermen. I want to encourage you this week that you go and live your life and that you fish with all your might. You fish patiently, you fish full of faith, and if this week you catch a fish, next week we're going to rejoice with you and say, yes, God is faithful. And there are some that are great fishermen. That's their gift. I don't know, I've fished with some guys like that. You use the same bait, you cast your line in the same swimming pool, or (laughs) the same part of the sea, and they catch a fish and you don't. You're doing exactly the same thing. How's that possible? I don't know. They just are gifted. They are an extraordinary good fisherman. And so let's not get into comparisons of who catches more fish than any other people. That is poison in the church. Let's suck the poison out and get rid of it. We just celebrate anyone who catches a fish. Amen.